I'm eating a little bit of chocolate. Mmm, yum, yum, mm. yum, yum. I, I look like one of the evil guys from The Revenants. How are you guys doing today? <laughs> what what a question. What a question. Uh, as as we are in a late, late stage uh, Black Mirror right now, um, you know, just just exiting the pandemic uh, after a, a, after 10 days of uh, protests uh, around the country and in 18 other countries against um, against our police. I'm feeling a little frazzled. I'm doing a lot of doom scrolling, as it were, mm-hmm. just on my phone all day, toggling between Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Oh yeah, baby. and watching the world burn. Oh yeah. The problem, the problem is, I have grown to dislike Twitter and Twitter more and more. You know, as in my time being on it. That being said, it is truly the only place you can go to see the atrocities. The local police departments in your area are committing on the on the citizenry yeah people don't believe it dan going back and forth between those three websites is about as unhealthy for you as a taco bell kfc pizza hut <laughs> yes 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 it's just never... yeah but it's but you know in the same way you don't know what the ingredients are in that taco bell pizza hut and and a lot of people <laughs> they don't understand what the ingredients are that go into <laughs> policing in the u.s unless they go on twitter so i keep sending my parents images of of police officers punching 75 year old men in the face <laughs> and and they're like what we we thought cops only you know uh t- took the, the puppies <laughs> we thought officer friendly just came to your school and showed you fake bags of drugs let me tell you um gabe i'm sure you've kind of kept abreast of you know washington dc cops uh david maybe you um had a good line on the the, the cops of missouri me where i grew up the seattle pd Oh my god. Ah, they're they're doing a beautiful do- job not just tear gassing people the most, um causing the most harm and now what appears to be um doing like direct acts of retribution <laughs> to protesters, like not like people who were clearly at protesters, they're now showing up to their houses with trumped up charges like you shown a laser pointer at, in our eyes. I've seen like at least 3 videos of the Seattle PD, like seven cop cars just in front of people's houses. They're arresting like a young mom or somebody, and they're like, "Yeah, you, you're being, you're under arrest now. There's no protest now, so we're just gonna arrest your ass." And I'm like, "Damn." <laughs> yeah, all the, I mean, all you have to do is upload somebody's photo to Facebook, and then when it asks, "Would you like to tag this person?" Facebook will just tell you who that person is. So mm-hmm. it's incredibly easy with facial recognition software now to figure out who anyone is, which thankfully most of us are wearing masks out there. True. Thankfully. God. <laughs> I was actually thinking that today of just like how this it's such a weird, uh, I don't know what the right word is, like convalescence or like dovetailing of all these different crises that is forcing everyone to actually look like Antifa properly (laughs) yeah right you know yeah like can you imagine if there was just like some like disease that required everyone to wear all black and dress up like ninjas and carry milk around and it's like oh no (laughs) (laughs) what like who are all these uh these like 
uh, I don't know, like dairy uh, ninja <laughs> guidance. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, CD, the CDC <laughs> recommends that you carry around lipids everywhere. And, uh, everywhere. And la- that you need li- lipids and laser pointers. Those are the things more than anything. Oh my, oh my God. What if, what if there was like an anti, I'm sorry. Look, look, I do not want to paint anybody into a corner, but what if there was like an Antifa guy who was just like a little bit, a little chunkier, maybe a little bit Chunk, thicker and like somebody gets somebody, yeah, chungus, somebody gets hit with, oh, I've been pepper. Oh my gosh. I've been pepper spray. And he comes over chocolate milk. That would be, <laughs> <I> would, <laughs> I'd love to, that would really. <laughs> you know what? I, I, li- I, I like to sprinkle a little cayenne pepper in my hot cocoa. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's just like, oh my, I'm so sorry about that. Or, 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 or like we find out like in a week that the best way to actually preserve the like uh basic thing is actually just used whipped cream instead. So all of a sudden people just oh, yeah. like whipped cream swirls on their eyes after the cops tear gas them. Everybody just turning into a Sunday, like uh, slowly but surely, like just like two scoops of ice cream, and just it, like yeah. Bloop. This is all just psyop information for like a really hungry cop, you know, who just like works at Cointel Pro 2.0 and just wants to eat people. Um, I, I this is another little thing I would point out to. I think it is more realistic in today in America to have literally every citizen of the United States monitor the police rather than depend on them monitoring themselves, which is why I, Danny have been googling personal body cams that i might buy for myself i i I went on to like a cop website that's like sell it's called like like riotforce.com or something like that and they sell body cams for like four hundred dollars and it was like i don't care anymore i'll wear a body cam so when i'm getting beat the fuck up by the police at least my body cam won't fail you know you can use that for porn afterwards yeah, now, see, I think GoPro has the market on that already. They already have like a uh, um, a GoPro harness that basically just goes right around the chest right here. Sick. I know this because I bought I bought one once, and the minute <laughs> I took it out of the out of the box, I was like, "Oh, this is the porn GoPro attachment. Like this is the porn <laughs> accessory one. You, just, you attach it, just you turn it right down, and it's just like full on. Like this is what. Yeah, you're like, why did this GoPro this come for? with a ball gag? <laughs> yeah 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 like- dude some gopros some gopros do you could put a gopro in your mouth there's like a retainer ass looking one dude you should so you wear could, that like, to put- a protest <laughs> <laughs> well there's that giant guy that seven foot tall guy within the all black gimp suit who is going to the protests have you seen that guy on uh twitter i know who you're talking about and there are some people who really want to fuck that dude and there's some people <laughs> <laughs> like and there's some people who think it's Baron Trump. That's hilarious to me. Yeah. He he looks like he's ready for the zombie <laughs> apocalypse. He's in full black like he looks like Snake Eyes from G.I. Joe. Yeah. Uh like he's yeah. ready for the zombie apocalypse. He's in full body armor. And I don't understand how the cops just let that guy lumber around cuz he he looks <laughs> like the biggest threat. I'm just excited for there to be like like we're moving on like stepsister porn was very like first term of trump and now that we're pivoting into the 2020 campaign season it's all going to be antifa porn is going to just be the the big thing we're all just going to be like really into like black duct tape um <laughs> won't, won't that just sort of like devalue itself over time in the same way that the like the, the stepsister step, porn whatever yeah. they've been devaluing. yeah because yeah. 
it, it'll be devalued, and then the Antifa porn will just turn into a, a a pornography where people are just wearing black hoodies. But like, that's it. Like, there's nothing. There's nothing else. You're so right, dude. The movement will be totally. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be so diluted. <laughs> I never thought about that, man. Damn. Um. Yeah. Damn, bro. I saw two people kissing with with face masks on. They did this. They were just sort of like, hmm, like that. And I was just sort of like, stop it. Stop it with your public displays of affection, uh, affection even this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those two people, Danny's parents. Um. <laughs> no. <laughs> they, uh, I mean, that just reminds me of that scene in Naked Gun, which uh, came out right when condoms started being used by everybody. And uh, ra- like rather uh, became part of the public conversation. And uh, Leslie Nielsen is like, hey, are you ready to have safe sex? And they have two full body condoms and they like make out wearing full rubber suits. Oh, I, I, I really hate to admit this. I haven't seen Naked Gun and I know it's a classic, but I, I should, I, I really want to watch Naked Gun and, and I'm really looking forward to it now. Uh, I'm going to say there's no point in watching old comedies. Really? They no longer make sense. <laughs> Dude, I love this 180. Uh, <laughs> Stay relevant. Stay relevant. Who cares? <laughs> Blazing Saddles is not relevant to our current situation. What about uh, uh, airplane? What Ghostbusters about is not relevant. What? What about airplane? Terrible film. Fuck you. <laughs> <Come> on. <laughs> I love it. You only You're like so it right. because you saw it when you were a little kid. And your brain wasn't fully formed yet. So you like were delighted by the puns. Stop calling this me is Shirley. A si- That's funny. <laughs> dude it's like when people try to make me watch mel brooks movies now as a grown man and i'm like no you're just jewish and you saw that when you were 11 that's a really good point damn that that's that that's fucking scathing man that that hits gabe home. is just ripping david to shreds it's, I that love has it. nothing to do with david <laughs> this is all humor all hu- anything no. i liked and i try to have somebody watch that was is not relevant like i love big trouble in little china and I think it's the best movie ever. But if I try to watch, like, watch it with a partner who's never seen it now, they're like, "What is this goofy ass racist movie with terrible special effects?" <laughs> uh, no, I mean you're you're absolutely right. Uh, so speaking of racist movies with terrible special effects, uh, the Minneapolis Police Department. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they recently lost their contract with the city of Minneapolis. Uh, they did their- oh, is is that how it's sort of like te- technically organized? Like no, like not. They they actually lost their contract first with the city of Minneapolis Public Schools, and then they lost their contract mm-hmm. with the University of Minnesota, and then I think um it it it, 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 it it's not technical like that with the city itself. Uh, they announced their intention to disband the police departments. We're going full post-second Iraq War Bathist party in Minneapolis right now, guys. We're just, they're going to disband it. Um, what do you, wh- like, what does this mean to you guys? What, what, is, what does disbanding the police mean? I don't know. Uh, and I don't think they yeah. know yet. Because I was listening to Democracy Now! And... They're the they were talking to somebody from Minneapolis who was saying basically, well, we're going to talk about it for a year and we'll figure it out at the end of the year. So it's going to be like a slow dismantling. 
mm-hmm. but they well, don't have a model in place for what it should look like. Yeah, I've been seeing that Camden thing uh, actually popping up. How like Camden actually just did this in 2013, and now they have like a um, like a, a county wide police thing. And I I'm I think the way I'm coming at it is um, with a polite amount of skepticism, where um, you know when when you say we're disbanding the police. My initial thought is like, wow, so cool. Disband the police. Yeah. But I think what pops into my head after is, okay, you're disbanding the police. Now, does the act of disbanding the police mean that there will still be like however many thousand like sausage-necked dudes getting paid $70,000 a year. Like, what is... And I'm obviously brushing... uh, I'm painting with a broad brush here, you know, but uh, point being, what what does that mean? Does it mean you're actually firing the police? Does it mean that they keep their job in some other way? Is this being renamed in sort of the Camden sort of thing? (laughs) Are you, like, altering your, like, police constitution? Like, whatever that means. Uh, Because I I think, I I mean, I think it matters. It would be really funny if they just kept it the exact same, but they just, like, changed the name police to, like, its Native American word. It was yeah, <laughs> like it was just, I don't know. We're no, just, that, yeah, yeah, like did you see Andrew Yang basically suggested that? No, what was it? What oh was my, saying? oh my God, it was hilarious. Where Andrew Yang in his infinite wisdom basically was like, um, baseball cap emoji. You know what we're going to want to do here, actually, guys, is maybe consider renaming the police, calling them defenders, or uh, <laughs> or like social something something guardians. Guardian, public guardians. space guardians, public space guardians. How about like, how about like open space guardians, or maybe even guardians of the galaxy? I just got tased <laughs> by the guardians of the galaxy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah my no, grandma got I... maced by the guardians of the galaxy. <laughs> we all got a what? What was it like? A pepper balled by the guardians of the galaxy. <laughs> yeah. That's a spicy pepper ball. <laughs> oh, I just got taken out by Officer Groot. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, Groot. Do, I mean, Groot curb stomped me. Yeah, uh, ba- baby Groot. Baby Groot <laughs> curb stomped me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, I just I saw that, and I I was just sort of like the fact that anybody voted for you is a testament to some of the levels of, t- of stupidity we're willing to tolerate. No, everyone just got said, grifted. Everyone just like Yang Yangers. I feel bad for them. They're probably low information voters who just. We just got caught up yeah. in the drift, you know. It's like it's like you became a Cutco knife salesman because you thought that you were going to make a lot of money. Well, I was going to say with Yang, it's like we—I mean, we don't have a, a strong uh, framework for democratic socialism in education. And what did millennials and Zoomers really have prior to Bernie? They had the idea of becoming an influencer, a tech bro, or an entrepreneur. And Yang fits all of that. Oh, so. Mm-hmm. He is the he he kind of is what most people's natural inclination should be towards. It's actually it's a miracle that so many people saw through that bullshit. And wow. we're down with Bernie. Hmm. Yeah, I say, would. I, yeah, any of my Jesus, friends Jesus that are Yang, like, any of my friends that liked Yang were the ones that just like never really studied anything about socialism. 
Right. Yeah. He's like hoovering up this weird population that is like in between the cracks that is like tangentially connected to these things, but not completely radicalized in an effective and productive way, you know, um, with, of course, his main uh, thing being UBI, you know, which oddly enough was a thing I heard him say almost never. Like interviewers would always be like, Andrew, how do you feel about uh, implementing universal basic income? And he like never said it. Like he would always say, oh, I want to give people money or blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, admit it. Admit you want to give <laughs> UPI. And it would be, he would like dance around his own. Well, he called Listen, it I don't like it. instead. Yeah, I just, you know, point, point being, Andrew Yang is not going to have the uh, answer for what to do with the police uh but thankfully we don't have to listen we don't have to listen to his trash ass anymore except for if you watch <laughs> cnn uh but okay a couple statistics about uh minneapolis police uh they had their ability to solve serious crimes in the city is consistently low in 2019 minneapolis police only cleared 56 percent of cases in which a person was killed so homicide cases for rapes the police department solve rate in 2016 was just 22 percent yep yep that sounds right and that's just that's just and that's just the ones that were reported okay like we all know how many i don't don't know like the statistics off the top of my head but there's a huge number of rapes that just don't ever get reported of the ones that even got reported 22 percent were cleared um Further well, do they even da- taste? Do, do they test rape kits, or are they just kept like in a sarcophagus somewhere in a pyramid <laughs> dude, to be dude, discovered is- by archaeologists two thousand years from now? That's exactly right. I mean, like Minneapolis Police Department announced last year the discovery of seventeen hundred untested rape kits spanning thirty years. What? Which officials what were said they- had been displaced? Wh- what were they doing? What do you? How do you misplace seventeen hundred of them? They that's, ugh, that's awful. Yeah, it's really bad. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what other joke to make about it. It's not good. Um, well, have well, you ever wanted to leave your apartment and then you like know you're right on time to do it? But right before you're about to walk out the door, you realize that you <laughs> oh, can't oh, find your oh. keys. Ugh, where's my rape kit? Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> oh. Uh. Is it in my other pair of pants? Is it uh, in my uh, sheets? Is, is it, it under my, my bed? Is it other pairs of pants? <laughs> Dude. Do you know what? Uh, you know, maybe I think this is uh, statistics can be sort of a dry thing that we don't necessarily get to hear all the time. But I really do think this is important because the biggest hurdle that even I run into subconsciously and then immediately try to just dis- just get out of my head is that thing when people hear the idea of like defund the police or like abolish the police. The first sort of like gut instinct is to be like, what if something bad happens to me and like it really takes like a deep and like thoughtful programming in your head to ask yourself the question wait a minute have the cops ever done anything <laughs> for me right. like the, 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 as best as i can understand the only things that they do are a harass me uh when i'm driving mm-hmm. and give me bullshit tickets when i'm riding my bicycle uh b 
show up to my apartment if I've called them because it's too loud, and then they promptly do fuck all. Right. Or like, see, uh, you know, like if it, this is you know, obviously hasn't happened to me, but like if something ever intrusively terrible happens like oh you know you're you're being beat by your your husband or you know you get raped or something like that there's just countless stories of the police basically softballing those things and just being like yeah right like they always that i'm being superlative but they come to the job that they're required to do with a very just sort of like oh my god God, do I have to? They're just like a kid who has to clean their room, and they refuse to do it. You know. So I was speaking of um, old movies that um, maybe haven't aged well. I don't know old comedies. I was watching The Big Lebowski last night um, with my girlfriend. That's She'd a great tragic drama. It is beautiful, a beautiful tragic drama. Um, actually, a good noir film if you think about it in its own way. It is kind of a detective film, mm-hmm. and. It, at one point, he like gets his car back from the lot from the pound, and he asks the cop, "He's like, so man, like, do you have any leads on who stole the car?" And the cop is like, "Yeah, let me just take this down to the crime lab, and we'll we've got four <laughs> cops working in shifts on this." And then he just starts laughing at him for ten <laughs> minutes. I mean, like leads, <laughs> and that's the thing. There is just such a disconnect between what we think the cops do on TV versus what they actually do in reality. And that's largely true of like how so much of our life in America is like what we expect small towns to look like, what we expect the police to act like, how well-funded we expect schools to act like. I mean, there is just such a disconnect between the expectations of the police set up in the media versus the reality um, that it's almost not surprising that people are shocked to hear that def- that the police should be defunded. Like, because you, 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 because th- your interaction with the police, unless you've actually had to interact with the police is, is CSI Miami. Well, it's kind of like, to me, it's like the idea of gay marriage now is, is just uh, normal, right? There's mm-hmm. no, there's mm-hmm. nothing about it that's shocking. To me, but when I was five years old, everything I'd ever seen on TV was straight people, marriage between a man and a woman. So the first time I heard it, I was like, wait, what? Men marrying men, women marrying women. It's not that there was a problem with it. It's that it was just so far out of the realm of the ideological water that I was swimming in. And so I think now for people to hear defund the cops, they're like, but does that mean anarchy? Like I had this guy on my Facebook uh, thread that that I, where I posted something about a a cab, you know, all cops are bad, and he was like, "What are you gonna say, my friend? Who uh, my friend is a bastard. He just uh helped a woman who was getting battered and her kid leave their apartment, and he's bad." And I was in my head, it's like, "No, I never said your friend's a bastard. The job of being a police officer is." overwhelmingly one where you are uh, like bullying people and not really serving the public. And if there was an organization devoted specifically to helping um, people suffering from domestic violence extricate themselves from that, then he could join that force and be a hero. Right. Yeah. Like it would be beautiful. There's no reason for someone 
two people with weapons to show up to a domestic uh, a violence call. And also, like, all yeah. cops defend <laughs> bad cops. Like, right. that's, even if there are good cops, which I'm sure there are people, everyone, there, there's, there's a lot of nice people in the world. We talked about this last week, right? There's a lot of nice people, but all cops defend bad cops. That, that, that's just happened every single time. And that's in part because of the structure of the system says that because they're just deathly afraid of speaking out against their fellow cop because they're literally afraid that they'll just get killed. Or, uh, David, you brought this up, too, that, like, we have this idea of what the um, town, what a town in the United States is based on the ideology. Like, we'll, wa- we'll watch TV and you see a small town. Small towns don't exist anymore. Like, any time, if you drive up and yeah. down the Hudson Valley, you will find these old small towns that have a main street that's empty and shuttered except for one antique store right. and a bed and breakfast. Right. And then on either end of that small town is a Walmart and on the other end is a prison. Yeah. So, uh, that's what small towns are now, are one Walmart and one prison and like a couple niche stores that uh, are struggling to survive in the middle. And if you're Dude. lucky enough to have a college, then you'll have like an Indian restaurant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, you'll get that chicken tikka masala, baby. Yeah. That lamb vindaloo. <laughs> Dude, Gabe, I think you brought something up that was very impactful, actually, because I and I swear to God, this has popped up at least six times in my life on my Facebook feed where somebody will say, I have a neighbor that just had been abused by their spouse and a cop helped out. What are we going to do about that if there's no cops and then the proper the other response that is always on the table is like have you looked at the statistics of the cops that beat their significant others (laughs) it's always it's startling and it's just one of those things where it's like yo man we can have the elements of that job exist um, and if you're trying to tell me, oh, this cop helped this lady this one time, brother, there's plenty of other cops that are, uh, let's just say, not helping, you know? Uh, <laughs> I mean, you could just have a domestic violence squad that's its own thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing that we really need to be thinking about is what are we going to do with these men forced in the Minneapolis Police Department? By the way, the Minneapolis Police Department, you guys might not know this. Um, I used to live in St. Paul for four years, and I, a lot of my friends lived in Minneapolis for a very long time. Um, one of the lowest rates of cops who actually live in the city of Minneapolis, mm-hmm, that most, mm-hmm. of, most of the MPD live in the suburbs. Um, and oh, they're all huge, outside agitators, baby. Right. And a, huge, <laughs> and a huge number of them are have known connections to white supremacist biker organizations. Like, the I Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, I remember reading articles about the MPD in like 2014 that were like that just had like well documented images of them like wearing this like bigots on bike, you know, bigots on bikes kind of tattoos and stuff like that. They're just all the racists in Minneapolis because the white people are everyone's very progressive. Those who are not progressive, the whites who are not progressive, either just like, you know, live in the suburbs and just like live in St. Cloud and, you know, vote for Michelle Bachman, um, 
or they become cops and those are just like open white supremacist organizations and they just terrorize the few black people that do live in Minneapolis and all the immigrant communities. Um, so whatever they do, there needs to be some sort of um, de like you need to get rid of their guns. You need to disarm them. You need to de-escalate them and get them into some sort of like remedial treatments. Like literally, we need to put them like in some sort of rehab um, to get them to get get their ideology out of their heads. Because like a dude, scared dude. straight uh, program or a deculting <laughs> deprogramming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, seriously, dude, we take all the conversion, the gay conversion camps that are now being uh, illegitimated, of course, naturally, and we yeah, just yeah. we we Unfairly, we we yeah, now give yeah. those guys a new job, and your job is now to deprogram racist ex cops. Mm-hmm. Dude, this is this is perfect. The cops are literally a monopoly. This is like exactly it. They have a monopoly on um, fighting the bad guys, um, supposed to be helping out domestic violence, um, assisting the homeless community, uh, like et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They literally, it's their job. You could even make the argument un- perhaps unfairly that that's what everybody, like things keep getting pushed into their lane to do. So they have a complete right. vertical integration of like all these things that should realistically be handled by like nine different t- things. So it's right. really just a matter of being like, oh, I want to, I want to take all this money that you guys have and just take it, spread it to all these other organizations, and if you like doing that, then. Maybe you just go to that organization. I mean, I've said this about pol- I've said this about taxi drivers for years now. There's probably a couple taxi drivers that really just love riding and driving on the streets, all right? Right. But a lot of them are just doing it cuz for a while it was a way to keep a middle-class family and income going. Right. But I bet there I'm willing to bet there's a significant amount of them where if you just said, "Hey, um you get to have a job at the MTA making the same amount of money, if not more, and uh, you're just doing this instead of clogging the road. Uh, I mean, there's got to be a significant jump over. People just be like, yeah, I'll just do that. Yeah, I you know? would hope that some cops would be like, oh, yeah, I won't be a cop. I'll become a social worker. Um, and we'll, and then, you know, the, the city of Minneapolis, like, we'll pay for your training to become a social worker. Or, you know, they want to be like, I want to become a firefighter because I actually want to have sex with my wife instead of just watching, <laughs> you know, then like the, then the, then that might be something that they would pursue as well. I mean, there really needs to be some serious um kind of like retraining of of these folks because otherwise you're going to get like uh, Marianne Williamson uh tweeted this out, a uh, friend of the show, and she said, you know, yes. I, I I totally support uh, you know, abolishing the police. We must learn, but she said, we must learn from history and not do what happened um, in Iraq, when we when the new government overthrew Saddam Hussein's army and we disbanded their army, basically they just became ISIS. Right. We're, we're going to make yeah. white ISIS here. Yeah. ISIS. We're going to make white ISIS. And then uh, some other people obviously have been tweeting about how like this would just increase the private security industry. You know, all of a sudden like Jeff Bezos's private cops run the city of Minneapolis. Um, Jeff's cops. 
Chips guys. That would have to be something we you'd have to really be be careful of as well because you don't want to use this as an excuse for austerity for further austerity. Um, absolutely not. There has to be a reimagining of what a municipal state can be and should be as it further aligns with our propaganda. Let's make it. Mm-hmm. Let's make America more like CV, CBS programming of what America is. <laughs> I make um, uh, make America. This is us. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that, that is the scariest thing to to think about is the giant privatized um, police force. Oh yeah, that's the worst. That's that's that in that version of it, uh, they don't have badges. They don't have name tags. Uh, they just have a more powerful gun. <laughs> right. And, and, and so you wonder if things like um, Geo Group, who is, you know, one of these large private prison contracting organizations, like, do, you, do we think that are they chomping at the bit at the prospect of Minneapolis disbanding their police because they think this can be a new growth model for them? Um, I mean, I was um, we, so we wanted to talk uh, this episode a little bit about private prisons because um so much of our carceral state is just incentivized through the profit motive. And you wonder whether there are these people like, so I sent you guys this one article about, it was called the geo group in market solitary confinements, uh, which is one of the more insulting uh, puns I've ever seen in <laughs> like in, in any sort of article. It's, it's um, and it's on this article, uh, a uh, finance uh, publication called Seeking Alpha. Basically, what they're t- this guy's arguing is that um, there will be. He's like, Geo Group is a very bad organization. It leads to the like uh, prison population. It, it contributes to all these sorts of things, and nobody wants to uh, invest in it. That being said, the returns are so good, and the Democrats show no interest in being able to shore this up that it's still a great investment and you should absolutely invest in it. Um, Dear God. Yeah. I mean, this, this guy just uh, goes through all, he actually has one of the more thorough analyses of the private prison industry and how like the allocation of how many different people are in prison, where, you know, like local, you know, local prisons, state prisons, federal prisons, and he just goes through all the problems of the prison industrial complex. And then he says, that being said, here's the rate of return on an investment in Geo Group. Oh, my God. Yo, you want a rate, rate of return on investment? Well, let, let's break it down a little bit. We've got a broken public school system. We've got a soaring inequality. <laughs> We've got a, the gap between the poor and the rich is ever, ever widening. Oh, and you know most crime is just uh is is just poverty is just symptoms of poverty, right? <laughs> so the more poor people you got, the more crime you got. It always it sounds like fucking the coke of um, you know investing, you know, because I look spoiler alert. I've known a couple drug dealers in my life, and, and uh, the people who sold weed, they would always just be like, well, if you sell weed, it just enables you to just smoke for free, and then. You'd have people who maybe sold psychedelics and they're like, yeah, you don't really make a bunch of profit on mushrooms or acid necessarily, but it's something you do because you clearly like do you, you, you know, you have an affinity for selling it and you can do it. 
But if you sell Coke, that's like a thing where you make like, you know, top dollar real fast. And like, that's what it is with something as sort of like vile and despicable as the prison industrial complex where it's just sort of like, look, this is dirty. You could get stabbed. Uh, some guy named Jeff is going to be calling you at three in the morning, but you are going to make money on this. Right. It's like making a whore. It's making a horcrux of yourself. You know, if we're going to get into Harry Potter terms, we're not going to get into Harry Potter terms. <laughs> we're not. <laughs> we're not. She's bad. <laughs> uh, so uh, there's another article uh, from Simply Wall Street uh, that talks about Geo Group. Uh, it, they have a market cap of 1.5 billion. So the weird thing about it is that Geo Group, 79% of Geo Group's investors, this is a publicly traded company, are institutional investors. And what is an institutional investor? That sounds like it's a really elite group, right? Um, but actually, an institutional investor is an asset management firm that manages people's retirements. So institutional investors is actually more middle class. So there's a, a 79% of Geo Group's stocks are held by probably retirement accounts, just like normal people with a 401k or a pension, which is- Mima. Mima. Yaya. <laughs> Papu. Yeah. It, it, it really Abuelito. does- <laughs> it, 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 it makes sense because, you know, I had a feeling you were going to say that, David, because when you think about investing in a prison, uh, of course, most of it's going to come from like like a weird sort of maybe like an ETF situation or like, a, you know, an like a firm that's investing in a lot of things for someone's retirement fund. I would think in very few situation, it's, situations, it's like some guy with like a fucking snidely whiplash, like, you know, and uh, mustache, like, yes, I'm investing in prisons, <laughs> you know, it's like, it, it's, 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 it's all cut up into the little, little pie slices, you know, exactly. so you don't even realize that you're doing something wrong. Exactly. Uh, it's like a little poop in your ice cream. Just well, like a little, <laughs> just a little poop. <laughs> it just uh, one of these bites. One of these bites was weird. It oh, it just whatever. creates. Like, <laughs> I, I think of like a couple things of like metaphors. I think of like um, a Weibo, you know, that snake eating itself. You know, you, like you you imagine Geo Group, private prison industry. This is an evil thing. Own this is class warfare. But really, what this is is like the middle class eating the poor. And it's being facilitated, yeah, yeah. and it's being facilitated by the wealthy. Like it, it, it's a very strange, purely um, only in America sort of financial structure where the um, mildly privileged are being facilitated to eat the poor by the rich, um, and that's been mm -hmm. that's been going on since uh, Bacon's Rebellion, sixteen seventy six. I mean, that's just forever. Um, I don't know. I don't know, guys. It's uh, it's hard. And the second thing I think of is just kind of some sort of like Sophie's Choice sort of shit. It's like, um, do yes, you want to, uh, stop private prisons, but you also want a retirement, and it just becomes this like, or like a Spider Man situation where he has like Mary Jane in one hand and the bus full of children in the other, and you gotta save yeah. one or the other, and you know, 
I think I don't remember what happens in that. In so you kind of have to uh, <laughs> bolster social security or have um, guarantee housing to uh, senior citizens. Yeah, it, it it's it's one of those things where if you're looking at it from a pure capitalist, pure like, well, I don't know how we're gonna crunch the numbers on these things. It, it I think it does reveal a lack of creativity and a lack of willing to truly look at what all the options are when these people say they're looking at the options because what Gabe is saying is is right it's just sort of like yeah well you know if if you just take this element that's highly profitable out of someone's pension or 401k you know it's going to require that people potentially um you know, have another safety net, which might right. require a degree of taxation or, you know, at its very most extreme point, just a slight alteration in, in lifestyle, too. I mean, I, I don't think it's like incredibly crazy to say that if you are, you know, fortunate enough to have a 401k, uh, that it's just like, OK, you know, we're getting taxed like, you know, 2 percent instead of 1 percent so that. Um, you know, these older people are able to survive and live, but it means that like black and brown people aren't thrown in jail indiscriminately. And it's right. like these weird little little teeny things that you can do that aren't even teeny at all. They're just they're just different, you know. And what can well, get really it's just perverse? Sorry, unethical yeah. to extract labor or extract capital out of a human uh being being in captivity. It's incredibly cruel. Right. So, I mean, that's just it. It's like, well, maybe that's where your money was coming from, but that is an unsustainable uh, business model. But that that's also fueling a lot of jobs in small-town America. So are you anti-job, you know? Um, and then there's another crazy question of, like, if there was some sort of, you know, we talk a lot about ESG, you know, kind of like pro-social governance investing, and prisons is, like, definitely a part of that sort of mission you know people want to divest from prisons as part of their you know woke investment portfolio right and um if you did that with if there was some institutional investor like vanguard who wanted to unilaterally divest from geo group um they could get sued by their shareholders for breaching their fiduciary duty mm -hmm. um which is a very common lawsuit you know that the that, that 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 is actually you know a way for middle class people to you know recover money from being nickel and dimed you know by the financial sector but all of a sudden if they if, if someone in the financial sector wanted to select some investment that might not have the maximum returns that a private fucking prison does then they could get sued and so their hands are tied too I wanted to push back on this idea of like jobs, small town jobs created by the prisons. And yes, uh, entire communities are now being the, the cornerstone uh, generator of income is the prison in these small towns. Right. Uh, because all of the construction w went into building the prison. So hooray, you're so you should be proud of your dad for building a concentration camp uh, in the small <laughs> town. Hooray. And then like, okay, great. So now there's jobs. What's your job? Oh, you're a, a SWAT team riot cop who uh, is in this prison. That's who you are. So yes, you have a job, 
and you have livelihood and you're able to put food on the table, but at what cost to your humanity? So it's kind of a devil's bargain because the rates of domestic violence, suicide and substance abuse, as well as other psychological problems that come from being employed in these positions outweighs the benefit of it being your paycheck. Absolutely. And like that, like that is an, that's the ultimate thing. It's just like, when does humanity trump money? And in America, um, it, it's really hard to say where that line actually exists. And in a lot of times, it doesn't really exist. Um, looking at a couple headlines from Geo Group, um, I'm just going to read these headlines off one after the other. Ex-employee of ICE facility in Anson uh, says company didn't do enough to stop COVID-19 spread. Anson, Texas. Family of transgender woman who died in ICE custody files federal lawsuit. Yeah, sounds right. <laughs> An inmate who sued ICE is missing after being deported to a dangerous border city. These are all geo facilities. Yeah. Yeah. Woman See, says this she, is the... It, it keeps going. I got a couple more. Woman says she was, <laughs> woman says she was raped at private prison at private prison on the eve of deportation. This is from Tucson, and then the last one, uh, nineteen inmates are suing Geo Group in a Queens detention facility for their handling of the COVID outbreak. Um, so, Gabe, your point is exactly right. I mean, there's just there has to be a certain point where um, this is an unsustainable business model because of the havoc it is wrecking on human lives and and uh uh, around the sort of neoliberal idea of the supply chain and efficiency with that none of these uh private prisons have the capability or the um the incentive to create safe sanitary conditions for people during a pandemic Mm -hmm. and not only are all of the prisoners subject to uh rampant infection rates of COVID-19 but all the guards are as well so everyone is equally being um is at risk under capital right yeah it, it it's you know it really circles around quite nicely to the question of how do we defund police how do we how do we do that and it's not a question of just being like, all right, we're opening the doors. All the prisoners are going loose or whatever. It's like when people say, oh, you're going to get rid of this prison? You're going to get rid of this fucking prison in the middle of fucking Centralia, Pennsylvania? What do we do? What will happen to our economy? What will happen? And it's like, well, you know, I believe that a lot less people would be imprisoned uh, if, you know, uh, people uh, were actually given a decent uh, swing at life. But let's assume in your argument that there are still crazy people who need to be somehow uh, locked up in some way or at least monitored. Mm -hmm. You could probably take some of the elements of a prison and then again, break that down into like, several other elements that are more humane actually rehabilitate a person and uh, probably cost a lot less money as well. I mean, it's like, Lord knows, even though Bernie Sanders is always talking about like, oh yeah, um, you know, Sweden and the Scandinavian uh, countries, they are democratically socialist. They have 
prisons. Anders Brevik is in prison. Right. It's just not it's just not a prison where he gets thrown in the hole, you know, and it's just and I remember seeing this article and video, excuse me, it was a video on prisons in Uruguay, which are very much which is very much taken a stance of like on, on like, you know, prison reform as it's called. And the element is it's like Yep, you still have some guys who've been in here for doing bad things, but instead of um, being like whipped and beaten and raped and any bad thing that could happen to you in prison, they're you know they're they're living in a different type of in in, in incarceration for lack of I a think better you're exactly word. Exactly you right. Know? Though, though, like you don't if you are saying the only reason why I want to keep this prison open is because I need to have something to do to make an <laughs> right income, make work. <laughs> like that you have a lot bigger problems than the fact that this prison is closing this is like a deep sign of systemic trauma and dysfunction at like every level of of the of, of the country or of this sort of society or of this local economy like there is so much more wrong and this is a symptom of everything that is wrong that the only way you can get mm-hmm. a job is by like abusing people as a prison guard um and when we i think when we think about you know abolishing the police um first off joe biden came out today and said that he's against it um it's so funny he he does everything in his power to just be like hey guys i'm gonna trip over my own dick today is that all right everything i can to alienate the progressive left who would probably be my biggest like volunteer base for the 2020 election like he's just biting the he hand loves that feeds it him. he's biting the hand that feeds him um but and, and i think that's in part because uh there's this uh really long story in the tampa bay times a really great investigative article um by uh shirsho dasgupta i i i hope i said nice. name right i really i may have fucked it up um this was uh from this month actually and uh this author goes into extensive detail about all the different political connections that Geo Group has. Um, I remember I did some little satire piece, and Mitch McConnell is probably the highest donor of private prisons uh, recipients mm-hmm. in the Senate from the Republican side. Henry Cuellar uh, on the Democratic side in the House, who was— Where is where, where is he from? Texas. Uh, he's a— a representative and he actually was endorsed by nancy pelosi um, what yeah he was endorsed by nancy pelosi in his primary run jessica cisneros ran against him she was a kind of a justice democrats democrats person yeah and nancy pelosi endorsed cuellar who is one who's the top uh recipient of private prison money in the house on the democratic side um so anyways uh in florida specifically in this article it shows that a total contribution of million alone, Geo Group ranks among the top 10 contributors to the Florida Republican Party in the past 15 years, excluding transfers from political campaigns. Um, The company's CEO alone, George Zoli, contributed $90,000 more to the Florida GOP in the same period. Uh, during mm. those years, Geo Group gave one tenth that amount to the Florida Democratic Party. So, <laughs> um, definitely, this is a much more of a Republican operation. Uh, but the Democrats are not um, 
you know, innocent in this sort of uh, in this sort of thing. Oh no 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 no! They are absolutely. They're not standing in opposition at all. They're just doing the like, oh. I and mean, they're just letting, like, the worst people continue to be terrible. I mean, I, I think that there's a reasonable argument that there are certain wings of the Democratic Party that believe if they could get away with the things Republicans get away with, they would. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a couple out there. Pro- you know, um, what's that guy? That, that fucker from West Virginia. Um, not, uh, Jim Justice is the governor, but the, uh, the Democratic senator. He, he's, he's a real fucker when it comes to that stuff. I, can't, I don't know why I'm forgetting his name. Look, um, but, you're, but you're right. Every politician is looking to, for easy solutions to job creation. And uh, there's union contracts that go to building prisons. There is, uh, there is short-term gains. But it is, it's like using steroids to lift weight to, or uh, some sort of performance-enhancing drug that long-term is detrimental to the body politic, but short-term will give you a couple, uh, a couple years of reprieve. It's incredibly short-sighted. And again, build, the, build a building, just don't torture people in it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you could just have a like, social work facility. Like, right. You, it's not that insane to think that, no, I'm just going to actually build a state-of-the-art mental health facility and rehab facility and social work facility. Um, and an old folks home down the and, street and a couple group homes for people yeah. in transition right. that yeah. need some help. I, th- I think what the interesting thing about the defund the police and abolish the police and abolish prisons is that it is an, a movement to move municipal money and move the operations of the state away from the prison and police industrial complex and towards what we expected to go like you don't even need to raise taxes very much municipal taxes very much you just move them away towards everything else that has been just ransacked by austerity yeah fill in a pothole for god's sakes (laughs) you know right right yeah, so the, I, I would definitely encourage you guys to read this. Uh, I can I can post this um, article. The guy who ran De, uh, DeSantis and Scott, you guys remember in 2018, those were very contested elections for the Florida governor and for the Florida senator. Um, just these guys are just totally in bed with the prison industrial complex, um, just receiving just crazy amounts of money. Um, state... Campaign finance records show that from 2010 to 2017, committees that supported Scott, uh, Governor Scott, received $36,000 in personal, Scott received $36,000 in personal contributions from senior GEO executives and their family members. This was in addition to the $700,000 GEO itself contributed. MTC and (sighs) CoreCivic, which are two other private prison companies, all um, together also kicked in $28,000 $28,000 to Scott's pack in that same period. Yeah, people forget too that even though like the numbers we're talking about are not like 50 million but in ex- or whatever. In exchange for that, Core Civic won contracts worth $400 million for running, La- for running Lake City <laughs> as well as Graceville Correctional Facility, Bay Correctional Facility, and Moorhaven in 2009 2010. Um, in like, in 2014, the operation of the latter three shifted to Geo in contracts worth roughly 400 million. I mean, this is not 
um, the the fact that the numbers are not fifty million dollars is not the, does not take away from the fact that it's not a bribe. This is yes. These are three different bribing. firms competing for contracts for private prisons, and mm-hmm. he is saying give the highest bidder gets the contract. Um, it's and he's not even asking for that much. That's how yeah. low the bar is for your soul. Se- yeah, seven hundred thousand dollars, four hundred thousand dollars, two hundred thirty thousand dollars. I mean. Some of them are some of its individual donations, some of its, um, you know, like corporate donations, and this is all going to super PAC stuff, and just trying to build these sort of, sorts of alliances. Yeah, I I can't even finish my thought. Oh God. <laughs> we should. You know what? I would say I think this might be a nice little transition into what we were saying, uh, what we were going to talk about, or what we all sort of read about. Look, capitalism is a corrupt system in its own right. But like what we all what we all read in the past two weeks was the 1619 project, which basically talked about how when it comes to capitalism manipulating and, and, and corrupting things, it's not a matter of like how long it's been happening. It's just you, you go back far enough and you're just like, oh, there's that incentive there. And in this specific instance, I'm kind of speaking about how slavery was like you know, cor- the correlation to, to that and how, like, I don't know. I, I kind of, wa- I kind of wanted to talk about it cause it, this feels, this feels very much like that, that article and how it's just an extension of it, but like, as a really, as a well, relation I mean, to slavery. I mean, like, you know, you know, this, this is very like new Jim Crowy, you know, kind of Michelle Alexander stuff, but like they really, the relationship between private prisons and slavery is like pretty well documented at this point. And what I really liked about the 1619 project is that it, doesn't just say prisons are connected to slavery, but slavery, but like capitalism itself, modern American capitalism itself stems from slavery. And th- these are, yes, these yes. are just basic under management strategies come from slaveholder, like slaveholding strategies that were developed. Like, <laughs> like modern, yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah, 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 like yeah, yeah. Crazy stuff like modern corporate ledgers, um, sort of like certain like management strategies that they that you that, like business school people would learn about. Um, the relationship between like having like an in-house counsel, uh, an in-house attorney in your firm. These sorts of things all started on the plantation. Wait, yes. so human resources started on the plantation? The uh, <laughs> human resources is the 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 natural foil for the union rep. Uh, human oh, resources yeah. is well, think of just think about what you're saying when you use those terms. What's that a euphemism for? Just like how can I extract the most out of this human? What resource is this human to me? <laughs> our most valuable resource is our humans. Our it's humans. Our, oh, yeah. that's so good. I love that. Oh man. And, I mean, and, uh, yeah. And and in the sixteen nineteen project, they actually prove that to be true in the American South, like. Mm-hmm. The banking and finance system was reliant on essentially taking out mortgages on slaves is the mm-hmm. easiest way to think about it, right? Like, you take out a loan against your house, right? Against your private pro- against your real private property. That's a mortgage. And yeah, but a ho- what, what's more liquid than a house? 
What's more mobile <laughs> than a house? What's more mobile <laughs> than pro- than than your land? It's humans. And yeah, the largest form of like the biggest amount of like loans, the most leveraged property in the American South, uh, the, therefore like the most valuable asset in the South, more so than property, real property was slavery. And yeah, it talks about the actual uh, financialization. You know, we kind of talk about this a lot uh, uh, is like, you know, how since the 80s, our economy has become overly financialized and there are these complex financial instruments and it's really like obfuscated from what is just kind of this real asset. But um, the 1619 Project, this this particular essay is by Matthew Desmond. I think it's a mm-hmm. fabulous, really well-written essay. Um, talks about the invention of banking regulation and all these complex financial instruments um, as a result of the slavery market and people in Holland, people in London, people in New York were invested in all these complex financial structures and products and had no idea that they were undergirded by slavery. Ha, huh, so you're saying that uh, Mima and Pop Pop's uh, 401ks and retirement funds back in the day would have had uh, some sl- some slave stocks in there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dude, that's the it's it is a real melding of like humans and the financial system to the point where like one of the creepiest images in that article that we read was like a picture of an old timey ledger, you know, and it's got like, oh, you know, like numbers of like how many, you know, bags of cotton like a certain slave uh, picked on like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But the creepiest part is it's not the numbers or anything like that. It's the fact that like on the left hand corner, they like put the person's name. So it's like you see sort of like David, Jenny, Ralph, like uh, uh, Christina. And you're like, oh, my God, this isn't just sort of like machine X or it's like it or just sort of like um, substation B. It's like, is this is a human. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like yeah. it's those exact principles that, are, that like get carried up till today. And it was very illuminating. It's uh, I mean, it was the the proto Fitbit. You know, yeah, yeah. So they're counting exactly how many steps somebody's taking, how many calories they're right. burning, how much food they need. And how much value they can extract by bales of cotton. And if you I mean, didn't hit the same marker tomorrow that you hit today, there would be punishment. There was a there was a, a, a pretty reasonable argument that asset depreciation as a concept formed from slavery. Like depreciation yeah. is, you know, when an asset loses value over time, the original concept for depreciation was literally the depreciation of the human body and people <laughs> being able to work less as they get older. Um, and, you know, as you get as when you're young, your body appreciates and you can pick more cotton. And when you get older, your body depreciates. I mean, the, the these are very basic accounting and business concepts from capitalism. Huh. And uh, David, the other interesting thing for me was the um there was a whole economy around publishing management manuals so people were buying all of these overseers on plantations were buying these trade manuals on how to better manage 
their human property, their slaves. <laughs> and it just made me think about today when you go to the um the professional development section of your Barnes and Noble. Yeah. And like seven highly effective habits of uh of today's leaders. And yeah. all of that, the origin of all that is some like seven habits of highly effective overseers dude Fuck. dude 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 there's 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 gonna be like a, a matthias lesko who's wearing like a, a a suit but it's got like question marks old-timey question marks and it's like get free slaves from the government <laughs> <laughs> or like the uh, anthony robbins the tony robbins of like 1820 was some dude going to the south uh, and and promoting, you know, uh, better ways to increase your plantation's um, productivity. Yeah, like rich dad, poor dad was actually uh, rich pappy, poor pappy. Oh, <laughs> make your slave a girl boss. Mm. Uh, How can you be? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's so bleak, man. Oh, God, it's hard to even laugh at those. Um, but like that, um, I don't know. It's really feels very relevant to be looking at this story. Um, we talk about the financial crisis a lot, and this story basically goes into the crisis of 1837, which is not something that like everyone knows about, but was essentially very structured very similarly to the financial crisis of 2008. Instead of residential mortgages, it was slaves, uh, and slaves mm -hmm. were over-leveraged. They were an over-leveraged investment asset, that people could no longer afford. Uh, too many people invested in them, and the price tanked. And then all of a sudden, everyone was out, and there was this global financial meltdown. Um, it, it, it's uh, the the structure is almost identical. Um, yeah, pe people forget that you know the most recent financial collapses are obviously the recession um the one that happened in the 19 late 1980s part of the 70s and the problem with that is that um the sort of rate in which the economy collapses it seems to be one that is like somewhere between like to every 10 and 20 years at least in the united states and it happens just after a long enough so that an entire generation is completely unaware of it, you know? So we have all these mini crashes right. going back to the Depression, going back to the 1880s, and then going all the way back to the 1830s, like you're talking about with this, um, for lack of a better word, like slave depreciation, essentially, mm -hmm. you know? And people forget, like, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is what capitalism has been doing for almost 200 years now, you know? Like 30 years before Marx dies or writes cop capital, you know, you have a version of that capitalism um, fucking boning itself, you know, just mm -hmm. uh, just con just constantly causing mass amounts of uh, not just you know, suffering for slaves, but just sort of just like needless, needlessly and, and careless, careless, you know, um, carelessly lost substance uh you know life life force <laughs> um there's one little thing that i kind of want to um there's there, there this passage i think that i thought was really that hit me pretty hard um there is some comfort there is some comfort i think in attributing the sheer brutality of slavery to dumb racism 
We imagine pain being inflicted somewhat at random, doled out by the stereotypical white overseer, free but poor. But a good many overseers weren't allowed to whip at will. Punishments were authorized by the higher-ups. It was not so much the rage of the poor white southerner, but the greed of the rich white planter that drove the lash. The violence was neither arbitrary nor nor gratuitous. It was rational, capitalistic, all part of the plantation's design. Um, and that's just, I don't know, this, when we think about all of the horrors of the police state that we live in today, it's very fun to make fun of, um, you know, the dumb, you know, racist cop who's likely Italian and is likely getting cuffed <laughs> by a firefighter, um, <laughs> and, you know, just like totally bungles over his own dick. Uh, all the time and that's certainly um there's a lot there's a lot of truth in that but it's always important to remember like who's actually whipping who's actually giving out the whips who's actually right so like the uh the foot soldiers don't need to be that critical in how they're thinking you don't want critical foot soldiers but you do have architects to a system and when we look at uh, our police, they were a lot of them are veterans who were fighting wars abroad. And if you watch Naomi Shock, uh, Naomi Klein Shock Doctrine, you see that a lot of the practices uh, that are exercised on our own people were first tried in foreign lands. Right. So you've got yeah. Iraq war vets who are now imbued with this warrior mentality coming back here and using the same strategies they used on the streets of Baghdad against um, people in the battle zone of uh, Brownsville, Brooklyn. And yeah. when you look at these overseers on these plantations, you know, uh, I think it's just, I think it's always bad uh, if you're on the left to point to Republicans or not Republicans only, but any of these oppressive power structures as being uh, run by idiots because yeah they're yep. not they're not all idiots you know right. and it, and it dismisses um how evil they are in their pure rationality mm. like yeah uh matt carp wrote a book called this vast southern empire about um the south and the pre the pre-confederate slave south was filled all these plantation owners were quite cosmopolitan you know, they had their finger on the pulse of global international trade, markets, um, uh, imported objects from all over the world, and um, uh, first-rate educations. Yeah. Yep. yep. So the myth of some, like, backwoods Beauregard, uh, Colonel Sanders slave owner is, is – that's exactly what it is. It's a myth. Yeah, you yeah, it's like, yeah, of course there were some poor people who were, you know, they were living a life of poverty and whatever, but it's like <laughs> it's not like these like fucking um Gre- Greco-Roman pillared uh estates were built just by my by magic. It was exactly. by some some fucking loser dipshit, you know, uh, Frederick Hans uh, Rezibabeld, uh, who who like went to fucking Yale and you know beat off into a Geronimo's coffin and, and then came back and built himself an, a little 
a little mansion and shit and was quite calculated right. about about the whole and, situation. Uh, New right. York City was seen as the most southern city in the north. And before the Civil War, uh, all of the southern elite would vacation in New York City. So this city was where they bought all of their uh, fine goods and they brought their they brought sla- enslaved people with them and they, they uh slavery was still a, if legal and permitted through the 1820s here so yeah. you would come up here and you'd bring your posse and you'd have all the slaves with you and then if you if you uh i, I don't remember how many months they could stay up here before they had to be freed but um i know george washington would take his slaves over the state line and then bring them back so that they, so that, because once you left and you came back, it would renew, it would set the clock back. Yeah, Jesus. we forget, we forget, uh, especially in Northern states, that it's not like uh, 1776, the United States becomes ratified or whatever. Uh, it's not like, oh, Northern states, no slaves, blah, 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 blah. It's, it's very much like, you know, like 20, 30, 40 years into the you know 50 you know after you know the early eight the late 18th century that certain places are like oh wait a minute no slavery is illegal you know i, I think pencil pennsylvania and philadelphia was like one of the earlier places to be like eh, no more slavery hey, but like quakers it, are woke, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah quakers are quakers are woke um but like the so this is a, a subhead um i just want to Touch on this uh, one, like a little mini article from the 1619 Project by Tia Miles that talked about how the popula- the unfree population of New York was not small and the experience of exploitation was not brief. In 1991, construction workers uncovered an extensive 18th century African burial ground in Lower Manhattan, the final resting, the final resting place of approximately 20,000 people. Whoa! You just, you just found a bunch of bones? Yeah. 20,000 people. And Wall Street, the wall, I guess, was built by the labor extracted from indigenous and African slaves. I mean, like, literally the word Wall Street uh, comes from slave labor. Quite racist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, 100% correct. Wall Street was the end of the city of New Amsterdam, the first Dutch settlement. And everything mm-hmm. beyond the wall very much like Game of Thrones was that was the wilderness. <laughs> yeah. So and that's where the um enslaved peoples lived. The servants and the um Lenape Indians would live, native peoples would live on that side of the wall and the Dutch were on the uh, on the southern tip. And uh at the founding of New Amsterdam, there were thirty enslaved Africans who were captured off of a Spanish ship by the Dutch and they were the first people to clear the land here so the uh the new amsterdam 1619 1619 yeah yeah uh yeah yeah. was it 1619 yeah maybe 1624 who knows that is uh uh, damn yep that's it but uh new york the blueprints the 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 first streets in new york were uh cleared by enslaved peoples uh yeah it's uh it's really wild also before before we leave um david i believe you mentioned something about the, the article that we read. Yeah, and it's, so um, everyone, something, something a bit conspicuous about it. So everyone, I want you to, um, while you're listening to this podcast, Google 1619 Project Capitalism. And the first thing you're going to see um, 
<laughs> if you use Google Chrome like I do, uh, is not the New York Times article about uh, from the 1619 Project. It is an advertisement uh, from uh, a, an organization called the Foundation for Economic Education. The, and it says, <laughs> the title of the article is, What the 1619 Project Gets Wrong About Slavery and Economics. Um, no. Yeah, that's the top oh hit. My when God. you When you Google 1619 Project Capitalism, the first thing is a Koch Brothers fa- like funded right-wing, you know, neocon organization uh, that is all about, you know, free markets and things like that, that is disputing the claims asserted in the 1619 Project article about it, um, about capitalism. And I, li- I looked at the article uh, because I hate myself, and what shows <laughs> up first is um, there's an ad that pops up that says, was Jesus a socialist? Why this question is being asked? <laughs> uh, was Jesus a socialist? Why this question is being asked again, and why the answer is almost always wrong? By Lawrence W. Reed. Lawrence W. Reed, by the way, is one of the executives of this organization, the Foundation for Economic Education. And then it says, learn how to counter the false narrative. Socialism is making a comeback, and so is the idea that Jesus was a socialist. In this timely new book, economist and historian Lawrence Reed shows it is pure fantasy to believe that Jesus wanted earthly governments to redistribute wealth, centrally plan the economy, or impose welfare states. My uh, God. That's uh, just Jesus an was a tanky. <laughs> yeah. Jesus was a full-blown tanky looking for a cultural revolution and a great leap forward. Yeah, man. He was a, a third-world Maoist. <laughs> the, sure. the lost gospel is uh, all on five-year plans. <laughs> uh, the Foundation for Economic Education received has received $353,000 from Koch Foundations from 2000 to 2017. They, but they of were course. they were founded in 1946. Um, listen to these guys. Let's just listen to the co-founders' names, and you'll understand it. Leonard E. Reed, Henry Hazlitt, David Goodrich, Donaldson Brown, Leo Woolman, Fred Fairchild, Claude Robinson, oh. and Jasper <laughs> Jasper Crane, the oldest Brother. <laughs> the oldest free market think tank in the United States. As, uh, Dude, yeah, they've, they've brother. I, if there, if there's one thing I've learned is that if it sounds like your last name could be a street in Brooklyn, you're fucking evil. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I'm listening to like I mentioned before. I'm listening to the 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 power broker right now, and they talk about how uh, on Long Island there used to be a lot of old robber barons <laughs> who would live who lived out there in castles, and one of the guys was like Horace J. Havemeyer, which is a very prominent street in Williamsburg. And he was apparently like a sugar baron. So he was literally like <laughs> the guy from Django Unchained, but not a slaveholder. He was like a sugar. He was a sugar guy. Havemeyer. <laughs> God. God damn. Well, this has been Ponzi Scream. My name is David Schenectady. Um, <laughs> I, uh, Yo, this is Gabe Skimmerhorn Pacheco. <laughs> oh, dude. Um, this is Danny Vanderbilt. <laughs> uh, I'm Danny Astor Place. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, good night, guys. You take care. Ciao. Get out of here. <laughs>